It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 255, Quantum podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world. Um, what we're going to do today is um, we're going to go for 12 big questions, and so it's going to be pretty quick fire. Um, obviously, I'm not going to give all the answers, and some of the answers you may not agree with, and that's fine. Let us know. Um, thank you so much for all the feedback from last week. Uh, and yes, I'll, I take on board the disagreements and the criticisms, and I thank you so much for them. And I, I was going to say I take on board the encouragements as well, but actually I do find the disagreements can be encouraging if they're done well. So, um, our first question. Well, let me play you this first. Liverpool at the MCG, the cricket ground in Melbourne, uh, playing Melbourne Victory. Ange Poscalou, who is uh, Poscalagu, is it? How's how you pronounce it? Who's now the manager of Tottenham, was the manager of Celtic. Um, just incredible to have ninety-five thousand, mostly Liverpool fans, singing "You'll Never Walk Alone." The question I'm asking is: Football good for us? Now, there's a sense in which football can be a substitute for religion. So the song of Jerry and the Pacemakers, You'll Never Walk Alone, you see fans closed and arms raised, and it's as though they're engaged in an act of worship. But there's also the question about football now becoming such big business and such a corporate thing. Um, there was this fascinating discussion on uh, the moral maze. Let me just give you just uh, the first minute of it. Good evening. Nobody much cared who won Manchester City's first match. Certainly the result wasn't recorded for posterity. It began as a church club, St Mark's West Gorton, to keep local lads out of trouble. They wore big white Christian crosses on their black shirts for that first fixture against the Macclesfield Baptists. Nobody paid to watch, nobody was paid to play. Pure sport with overtones of social work. Wind on a century and a half and Manchester City is the most successful and the richest club in Britain, just 90 minutes away now from being European champions too. Its owners are billionaires, the players are millionaires. Football's come a long way, but is it still the beautiful game? The top clubs are now largely owned by foreign investment groups, some linked to regimes often regarded as ethically questionable. Abu Dhabi owns Man City. The Saudis have just bought Newcastle. Campaigners talk of sport washing. 
There's misogyny, racism and homophobia on the terraces. The game's critics see it as tribal. The sniffier psychologists talk of football... Now, didn't you find that fascinating that Manchester City, who've just won the European Cup, uh, actually started off as a church club, like most football clubs in Britain, and had... uh, big white Christian crosses on their shirts and their first game was against Macclesfield Baptist. Oh, I love that. Um, not just football, of course. Is sport good for us? I think overall it is, but like anything else that's good for us, it can be corrupted. It's interesting, the Saudis buying golf, how that's going to work out. And the other thing that intrigues me, uh, I didn't play this, but the US women's team were demanding equal pay and, you know, it's equal pay for equal work and basically saying they're equal to the men. Well, actually, they're not. Not in football. No. Um, there was a, a, a game last week of lower league players and middle aged men from Wrexham who beat the U.S. professional women's team, international team, 12 nil in 40 minutes. Probably would have got to 30 nil if uh, it had gone on for 90 minutes. So is football good for us? Yeah. I think so, but there are dangers. Second question is, well, let's see if you can work out what it is. First of all, let's listen to this piece of music. One man on a fence. One man he One man washed on an empty beach. One man You too, pride in the name of love. Uh, I I do have to say this: has pride is pride the new state religion in America, in Australia, in the West overall? I think that's true. I think it's a a religion with its own liturgy, its own blasphemies, its own um, doctrines, and I think it's a religion which, if you do not bow down to, you are going to be in big trouble. Uh, I mean, there's so many. I've never seen anything like this past month. Uh, the Houses of Parliament in, in the LGBT flag, the the flag flying from uh, the U.S. government buildings, including the White House, and even organisations like Cracker Barrel bowing down to the rainbow gods. And then, sadly, the Beano um, <laughs> putting out a Pride edition and they justify this in their tweet. Every kid has a right to see themselves celebrated in Beano Town. Well, really? So I look forward to the Beano celebrating Christian children. I don't. Can you see that going to happen? Not at all. Very interesting. Um, Tom Holland uh, and Dominic Sandbrook in the Rest is History podcast. They did one, sadly, they, well, not sadly, they did one for Pride, and it was actually fascinating on Antonius. And towards the end of it, Holland argued that we were seeing a return to pre-Christian Greco-Roman paganism, in effect, where the rich and powerful can sleep with whoever they want. And there's this thing of the, the passive uh, male uh, or passive women. I'm just amazed at what is going on and and in terms how pride 
leads to debauchery and to child abuse. For example, a trans activist known for staging protests involving human urine was invited to perform at the Tate Museum on Sunday, where he gave a reading while dressed in women's clothing. And how will we put it? I, I know I won't describe how it end how it ended up, but it's utterly grotesque. In one video, it can be seen reading an article aloud to an audience while wearing women's lingerie. And he talks, his his private parts are covered with a garment that says the word sugar money, uh, referring. And this was, this was meant to be for children. It's meant to be for children. Wow. Question three. Does disagreeing with trans ideology mean that you're killing people? Here's Kirsty Blackman, uh, Scottish National Party MP in the House of Commons. This change being made. They said, what hope is left? Should I just kill myself now and be done with it? They will not rest until trans people are excluded from public life. Now, that was just straight out a lie. Joanna Cherry and other people, uh, Joanna Cherry also an SNP MP, uh, are not seeking to exclude trans people from public life. What they are seeking to do is to protect women, and we'll have more about that later. But you, can you see what's going on here? This is emotional bullying and blackmail. If you don't agree with us, then you're causing people to commit suicide. Now, it's utterly fascinating for me that on social media, the sight of Kirsty Blackman saying this and in, in a completely nonsensical speech, which is laugh out loud, laughable. There's Joanne Cherry and a couple of other MPs behind rolling their eyes and people are saying they don't care. They don't care. This is terrible. And you wonder where all this is going. You know, if I misgender someone on Twitter or on YouTube or on Facebook, I'm going to get banned. But here's a couple of tweets that is, were sent by someone called Synthetic Sylvie about Joanna Cherry. This is what she says. I'd kill her with my bare hands if I ever saw her. And then each of them should be murdered in broad daylight on a crowded street. Now, Joanna Cherry reported that to the police and the police said, well, that's not a hate crime. Really? Each of them should be murdered in broad daylight on a crowded street. You can see where our society is going. If you go along with the new religion, anyone who dares question that is guilty of hate. But anyone who dares stand up for women or for children, whoa, you, you can be abused to their heart's content. Question number four. Should abortion be decriminalized. Now this comes out of the case of a Mrs. Foster who took abortion pills and you can see you can now you don't have to go to a doctor you can now order your pills and she ordered pills and she killed her baby which was between 32 and 34 weeks. And in the UK, that is illegal. That The limit is 24 weeks. As Dr. Callum Miller points out, this baby, Lily, was eight months old. She was fully formed, sentient, capable of feeling pain. She was viable and could have survived outside the womb. She did not have a disability. Her mother's life was not at risk. She was aborted, killed at home with no medical supervision because BPAS couldn't be bothered to check the period, the time, the gestation period. 
The mother has now got a two-year jail sentence, and BPAS and others are now exploiting this, including numerous MPs um, saying that this is terrible. A, a woman should not be jailed for killing her own baby. Now, Anne Faridi asked, nobody's tweeting to disagree has yet answered the question, how is this sentence in the public interest? What good does it do to publish the wom- to punish the woman in this way? I'm not sure a jail sentence does, but I'll tell you this. You could ask that question about any crime. Supposing a woman had killed a baby two months later, would that be a crime that should not be punished? The reason we publish, punish crime is for the good of society. And in this instance, it will hopefully act as a deterrent and save other babies' lives. No, abortion should not be decriminalized. It is the taking of innocent human life. And to argue that that should not be a crime is, in my view, utterly despicable. All right, I tell you what, I'm going to... Um, Start a new thing just now. Each week I'm going to do the Bible in secular songs. And if you've got any suggestions for me, by the way, do do recommend them. I was drawn to this because on my Spotify they decided that I would like to hear this song. And I absolutely did like to hear it. Here's Don Babylon. Don Babylon. Here's Don McLean singing Babylon, which comes, as, as all you biblically literate people know, comes from Psalm 137. It's beautiful. Enjoy. Question number five. Are all politicians corrupt? The arrest of Nicola Sturgeon and Trump appearing in court in Miami and Boris Johnson resigning. And here in Australia, the government minister Gallagher uh, lying to parliament and then denying that she lied to parliament and everything else that comes from that. You can be tempted to think that all politicians are corrupt. Well, in a biblical sense, all human beings are corrupt and we would all do things that are wrong and we all do do things that are wrong. So therefore, all politicians are corrupt. But are they especially corrupt? Well, I think some are because they have power. 
but others are not. Others are honourable and seek to do the best that they can. Question number six. Are women under attack? Yes, they are. Listen to this. I want to be clear that I define a woman as someone who identifies as a woman and that the Queensland government defines a woman as someone who identifies as a woman. That is the Minister for Health and Mental Health, Shannon Fetterman, from the Australian state of Queensland. And uh, I, I just can't get over that the Minister for Mental Health is saying that a woman is whoever defined as a woman. Is a dog whoever defined as a dog? If, I'm, if I define myself as Napoleon, does that mean I'm Napoleon? If I define myself as Australian, therefore I don't need to get a visa, does that mean that I am Australian and therefore I don't need to get a visa? To, to be governed, I mean, I can understand kind of wacko ideologues saying this, but when these ideologues are now in government, it's just really quite extraordinary. But it gets even worse than that. I think that is. Now, this is why it's an attack on women, because it's erasing women. Here is the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. You know, like, they're doctors. You think they would know. This is their definition of sex. A person's assigned sex at birth, determined by sex characteristics observed at birth or infancy. A person's sex can change over the course of their lifetime and may differ from their assigned sex at birth. We have now gone so mad that we have doctors saying that your sex can change. It can't. Medically it can't. Physically it can't. It can't change. You could argue that gender or at least gender expressions can change, but your sex can't change. But again, notice the danger to women in this. Here is John Hopkins University, Diversion and Inclusion, uh, LGBTQ Glossary. Lesbian, a non-man attracted to non-men. You get that? A non-man attracted to non-men. Gay man, a man who is emotionally, romantically, sexually, affectionately or relationally attracted to other men. Well, by the way, what absurd definition in that case. I'm gay because I am, I, I am emotionally connected or attracted to other men. Crazy. This is all crazy. But notice what has been said. A gay man is a man. A lesbian is a non-man, attracted to non-men. Wow. This really how far is how far down the rabbit hole we've gone. And then we've got issues like sex workers. No, they're not. They're prostitutes, largely women, who rich men are exploiting, or even relatively poor men are exploiting. And then in California, they've got a bill which seeks to redefine infertility to be a status as opposed to a medical condition. And they're going to classify gay men as infertile. And what that bill would do, it would require insurance companies to cover in vitro fertilization procedures. And it would also force firms to cover surrogacy for gay males. And what this means, according to Caroline Menjivar, a Democrat senator, the bill will ensure that queer couples no longer have to pay more out of pocket to start families than non-queer couples. That's so incredible that we've got a state organisation going to encourage women basically just to be breeders for men. And there's so much other stuff going on there. Um, 
Gay men have a right to to women's bodies and we must ensure they can rent and impregnate women whenever they choose. Remember The Handmaid's Tale? Remember that was supposed to be about right-wing fundamentalist Christians? The Handmaid's Tale is coming true and it's coming true from the left-wing liberal progressives. Question number seven. Are Canadian forest fires a sign that the world is burning? There have been some serious fires. But let's think about it in this way. In one case in Alberta, a woman was suspected of lighting 32 fires in one region. It's interesting that in 2020, that was the small, fewest wildfire, wildland fires, the smallest area burned of all the past 40 years. And that's because there was less people out and about. 2021 was a bad year for fires. Um, there was hot, dry weather in British Columbia. I don't know if this is because of climate change. I don't think it is as simple as that, though it may be a factor. But I do know that Justin Trudeau's plan to get people to pay more taxes to deal with this is an absurd idea. Number Question number eight, where did COVID come from? Well, I tell you what, before I answer that question, here's a bit more music. I was just guessing Sorry, tell me your secrets, running in circles. Nobody said it was easy. Take me back to the start. Well, I wish we could go back to the start. Sources within the US government are now saying that three of the earliest people to become infected with COVID were Ben Hu, Yu Peng, and Yan Xu. All were members of the Wuhan lab suspected to have leaked the pandemic virus. There is a phenomenal article from the Sunday Times, which I will link to, which basically in great detail explains how the US funded and helped the Wuhan laboratory together with the Chinese military develop a virus which was specifically designed to infect human beings and cause more damage. The State Department investigators in the US say this, Despite presenting itself as a civilian institution, the United States has determined that the Wuhan Institute of Virology has corroborated on publications and secret projects with 
China's military. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has engaged in classified research, including laboratory animal experiments, on behalf of the Chinese military since at least 2017. Where did COVID come from? It came from Wuhan, and I think it's getting more and more certain that it came from human beings seeking to develop a virus as a biological weapon, and it all going wrong. Okay, number nine, are refugees bad for us? Three people have died and three were injured in an attack in the centre of Nottingham. And this was believed to have done by, been done by a migrant. But the key is this, with a history of mental health problems. In Ancy in France, two weeks ago, children were stabbed by an Islamic man who'd, Syrian, uh, Islamic man who'd said he'd converted to Christianity and was apparently... Uh, shouting out the name of Jesus. Again, almost certainly uh, mental health issues. So I want to say just simply this. Are refugees bad for us? No. Or let me put it this way. Not all refugees, or not all who claim to be refugees. But clearly some are, and how we deal with the refugee situation is really important. There's far too much of an opportunity for someone who's been unstable in their homeland, mentally unstable, for example, and violent, to come over and claim a refugee, be to be a refugee. And lots of people say, oh, that's fine. But equally, there are those who will condemn all refugees, which is absolutely crazy and wrong and wicked and evil. Number 10, are we returning to Satanism? There's a sign at Hobart Airport, at Hobart Airport there was a sign, which said, Welcome to Hell, Tasmania. This was done on behalf of the uh, Dark Mofo Festival, um, which is a spin-off from the Mona Festival. Uh, Eventually, it was removed. I think we've mentioned this before, and I'll just say now, that I do think we are returning to paganism, and part of that includes Satanism, and the, the, the interest in Satanism in the US, in Australia, in the UK... Is quite disturbing. Question number 11, will the church survive? The ABC had a news about the, uh, a thing about the demise of Hillsong. Uh, yep. Um, and that's a really, really sad situation. But the church has always had this. Or what about this from Germany? Jetzt ist die Zeit zu sagen, black lives always matter. Jetzt ist die Zeit zu sagen, Gott ist queer. Jetzt ist die Zeit zu sagen, we leave no one to die. Und jetzt ist wieder die Zeit zu sagen, wir schicken... That's Pastor Quinton Caesar, who goes by she, her pronouns at the closing ceremony of the German Protestant Church Congress in Nuremberg. God is queer. I had... I was going to say an argument. It wasn't really an argument. I was trying to correct him with uh, an evangelical who had said that God is for the queer. And when I challenged it, he just blocked me, um, which was very sad. But um, yeah, false doctrine will always threaten the church. Persecution will always threaten the church. But know this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. All right. Uh, I don't want this to get too long. I've got one more question, but I've been doing the greatest children's books and uh, guess which book this is 
All through the winter time he hid himself away, ashamed to show his face, afraid of what others might say. All through the winter in his lonely clump of weed, till a flock of swans spied him there and very soon agreed, you're a very fine swan indeed. A swan? Me a swan? Ah, go on. He said, yes, you're a swan. Take a look at yourself in the lake and you'll see. And he looked and he saw and he said, I am a swan. That's There Once Was an Ugly Duckling by uh, Danny Kay from the film Hans Christian Andersen. And that book is at number 12 on the list of the 100 greatest books. Uh, Just utterly brilliant. The Emperor's New Claws, Thumbelina, The Ugly Duckling, just great, great stories. Number 11, by the way, was Anne of Green Gables. Number 13, Harry Potter's and the Philosopher's Stone, J.K. Rowling, of course. Number 14, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, just a great book, Eric Carle from 1969. And number 15, a book I don't know, Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising from 1973. But reminds me, if you've got kids or grandkids, make sure they read Hans Christian Andersen or you read it to them. And here's my last question. Is there any hope? Yeah, there is. There really, really is. I want you to listen. We started off with sport. We're going to finish with sport. I want you to listen to this wonderful clip from the Women's College World Series in America, which always amuses me because it's really just America and Canada. Softball. Um, And these young ladies won and they were asked this question. And let's just listen to the whole thing. Alex Scarborough with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, and I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters.
Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, Isn't that brilliant? We have an eternity of joy. We have an eternity of joy. Well... Do you know, that's what the Christian has. That's where our hope, our hope is found in Christ. And speaking of joy, I thought I would leave you. I'm doing something called the Saturday Review, which you get every Saturday or probably by Monday, to be honest. And I review various things and books and music and films. And the piece of music I reviewed last Saturday was this. This is the Chicago Symphony, uh, Beethoven's Ninth. Oh, friends, not these sounds. Rather, let us turn to sounds more pleasant and more joyful. It's uh, Schiller's poem, Beethoven put to music. Uh, you can interpret it in different ways, but I interpret it as ultimately all joy coming from God. So, folks... Great to have you for these 12 questions. Feel free to send any comments or any news. Please do feel free to help fund this through the Podbean fundraiser, the website www.theweefly.com. I'll put all the links and so on and so on to uh, the articles here. Thanks to Peter for producing it. May you know the joy of the Lord as your strength. And see you next week.